The context here is an amazing context. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 4 as well. It's the early part of both of these Gospels because it's not long that this shows up after the story of Jesus' birth. Of course, Matthew and Luke are the two consistent books that talk about his birth. Mark and John do not. But in Matthew, you have the birth of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 2, the famous Christmas chapter. And you look at this context here and you see a very interesting place thing take place here. Jesus is going to be encountered by the, the great enemy, the great enemy. And the enemy is real, and uh, we live in an, an odd day where people are downplaying his role, and I think he loves that. I think he loves that because he's showing himself very strong. And I don't like to talk about him a whole lot because he's not worth talking about. I'd rather talk about the Savior who defeated him, amen. But, but Satan confronts Jesus Christ, and of course, three times he tempts the Lord. Jesus Christ was not half God and half man. He was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. But Satan has always had a tactic that unfortunately I think has spread into society where he will misconstrue the word of God. He will twist what God originally said. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3 he used this concept. He twists words, he paraphrases, he commentates and he interprets verses and principles of the Bible to mean what he desires them to mean because Satan has one simple ultimate goal. I think sometimes we are actually a misunderstanding of what his goal is. We think that Satan is so full of evil and all he wants us to do is, is do evil things, but that's not necessarily true. He just wants you to not do what God wants you to do. He has no problem with you attending church all your life as long as you don't do what God says and God says you must be born again. He has no problem with you reading your Bible every day as long as you don't get to know the author of that Bible personally. He is a, a deceiver and he loves to twist and, and confuse and, and all that. And he finally pulls out a, a strong weapon that he thought would really get Jesus. He actually says there in verse 10, it is written. He takes the word of God, he takes the Bible and says it is written and throws that into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what he did was he weaponized the scripture. To weaponize means to adapt for use as a weapon. It's to exploit for the purpose of attacking a person or a group. And if you were to Google the concept, just type in Google later today, why do we have nuclear bombs as the United States of America? The answer is very simple. The reason we have nuclear bombs is so that we don't have to use the nuclear bombs. A young man came to a dojo expert, a karate expert one time and said, I would like to learn your art of karate, your art of martial art. I would like to be able to train with you as you are an expert. And the man says, why do you want to learn? He says, so that I can win all my fights. And the master of martial art looked at him and said, I ask again, why do you want to learn martial arts? He said, so that I can win all of my fights. He asked him a third time and says, why do you want to learn the art of martial arts? And he said, so that I don't have to fight. And he said, okay, welcome to class. The reason why we have nuclear weapons is so that we don't have to use the nuclear weapons. The purpose of weapons is simply this, to make sure we don't have to use them. But what happens many times is weapons fall into the wrong hands. And when a weapon falls into the wrong hands, then action has to be taken place. The gun issue is such a big deal in America, and I'm not here to preach it. I have plenty of opinions on that, 
and I'll be glad to sell them to you for $5 after the service today. But the very simple concept that nobody can debate is the bad guys will always find a way to get the weapons. They will. They're going to have them. You know what I've learned? You know how you stop a bad guy with weapons? The arrival of good guys with weapons. The arrival of good guys with weapons stops the activities of bad guys with weapons. You say, well, what does that got to do with the scriptures today? May I say to you that many people are building their beliefs, trusting their eternal souls into concepts, man-made religions, ideas, philosophies that ultimately can be traced back to the weaponizing of scripture. You see, many people today will quote the Bible to prove that they are right rather than to prove that the Bible is right. If I were to use the Bible to debate you, then I have wasted your time and my time. It is my job to declare the word of God and let the word of God take care of itself. What I love about this passage is not necessarily Satan's tactics, but Jesus' wisdom in his response. Because each time that Satan confronted Jesus with a temptation, all Jesus said was the word of God. He did not formulate some debate. He did not begin to have a conversation with him. He did not intrigue him. He did not debate him. He did not fuss with him. He simply said the Bible and said, next shot. And Satan tried again, and he said the Bible and said, next shot. Jesus was the master of not weaponizing the scripture, but rather utilizing the scripture because the scripture itself is truth. And no matter what people say today, you can argue all you want. The scriptures, the truth of it, the foundation of the word of God, it's been standing for thousands of years, and it's still here today on this cool September day of 2023. However, social media and Man-made religion and the world in which we live, boy, people have taken the Bible and used it to try to prove a point, to try to increase their platform, to try to 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 one-up somebody, to try to make a statement. And can I tell you today, I think that is much to the chagrin of our Savior today. The Bible is precious. The Word of God is unbelievable. The Word of God is, 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 it's just dynamic. And when I say unbelievable, I don't mean it's like we can't believe it. It's unbelievable that we have the Word of God. For just a moment, would you stay sitting there in your pew, just look down at the Bible you have in your lap and realize that this is a miracle that you hold in your hand. That you get to hear from the heartbeat of God. That you get to understand and learn and read about the philosophies of God. You get to hear what's on God's heartbeat. You get to know what God thinks about things. Listen to me, it doesn't matter what Randy Dignan thinks about things because my thoughts are not his thoughts. My ways are not his ways. I've learned that the more I agree with the Bible, the more circumstances and blessings agree with me. So many times I have disagreed with the Bible and found myself in disagreement with God. The Bible says, can two walk together except they be agreed? We live in a society today where so many people are walking a direction and expecting God to agree with them. My friend today, that's not how it works. God is going in the direction God's going to go. He is God. He's always been God. He always will be God. He's not going to be intimidated by us. He's not going to change because of what we say or what we think should be done. Rather, we should be walking with him and going the direction that God is going today. We had a visitor Wednesday night, and after the service, he stopped me. He's a visitor from a distant state, and he, he immediately told me, he says, my goodness, I've got to watch. What, how can we watch your services online? And he went on and on. And he said, it's been so long since I've been in a church service where somebody just preached the Bible. Yeah. Well, what are we supposed to do in church? Help me. I didn't realize that was an issue. Can somebody help me today? What are we supposed to do in church? What is the purpose of church if sometime during that service we don't say this is what God says about things? Yeah. 
Because our presidents have been wrong. The kings have been wrong. The pharaohs have been wrong. The dictators have been wrong. The preachers have been wrong. But God is always right. God's way is right. God's word is right. And God help us as Christians not to become the ones they call the dangerous hands that have their hands on the weapons. I think it's a blessing that the United States of America has nuclear weapons. I sleep good at night knowing that. Because you know what it does? It keeps at bay Iran and North Korea from wanting to get nuclear weapons. I believe in my government. They don't have any desire to use them anytime soon. Thank God for that. I have weapons in my house. And I, I, I love having those weapons. I don't ever plan to use them. But it's nice to know I have them there. And church, as a Christian today, you have the Word of God. You have the Bible. It's not time to waste our time with the debate. It's time to tell this world that there's a God in heaven who loves them and forgives them and will save them and wants to help them. And that's what we got to get back to in America today as Christians. We've got to be good representations, good representatives of the word of God. You see, we see it today in social media. I laugh sometimes. I don't get into all that stuff. Christians are constantly debating each other. And sometimes I'll read it. It's amazing. They quote a scripture. Then they quote a scripture. Then they quote a scripture. Then they quote a scripture and they consistently quote scriptures at each other just so they can prove their point that they're right and all the time the world looks at it and says why are you using the bible to fight against the bible listen to me we need to get back to just saying this is what the lord says the old testament prophets had it right i love that beautiful simple statement here it is ready thus saith the lord thus saith the lord thus saith the lord Thus saith the Lord, if God says it, it doesn't matter what a president says or a king says or a mayor says or even a preacher says or the pope himself says or a priest says or a Baptist preacher says. What does God say about something? What does God think about something? And when we get back to finding out what God says and what God believes and what God thinks, it's amazing how transformative it is in our lives. And God has strong opinions about things and we've got to tell this world what they are. Because it's high tide to do that. So let me give you three quick statements to think about. Listen, the scriptures are for peace. The reason we have weapons as a country is for peace. Tonight we'll get into more of the breakdown of why the scriptures give us peace. But the presence of scriptures brings us peace. Our church has been blessed with a lot of peace through many, many years. You know why? Because it's not the presence of a pastor or a deacon or an elder or a program that we have. All those things are great. But the presence of the word of God is amazing what it can do for a church. If your home wants peace, young couples, married couples, make the word of God present in your marriage. As you're raising young children, listen to me, make the word of God present in your home. I'm not talking about sitting around having three or four hour long devotions every day. I am saying make it present. Make sure your kids know that it's a centerpiece of your home. You're not ashamed to tell this world. Our, our home is a Bible-believing home. Our church is a Bible-believing church. Our marriage is a Bible-centered marriage. And I'm telling you how transformative it is. And if we'll see, if we'll see how powerful it is, it could revolutionize our lives. Number one, I want you to think about the use versus the misuse of it. The use versus the misuse of it. If you study the Gospels very carefully, you'll see that Jesus consistently just went around saying the word of God, teaching the word of God. The Bible says in verse number nine of the same chapter here will be in Luke 4 the whole time. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down from thence. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they sh- shall bear thee up. Lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus answering said to him, it is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. End of story. That's it. 
Satan misused it. And you know what stopped the misuse of the word of God? The use of the word of God. The proper use of the word of God. You see, the word of God, forgive me for using this phrase, is a big boy. It can handle himself. He's not intimidated or threatened by criticisms and critiques. And boy, people sure love to do that. People are going to constantly criticize and critique the word of God. But the word of God is what it is. And as Pharaoh, as, as, as the leadership of Rome asked Jesus, what is truth? They didn't even realize that Jesus was standing in the presence of them as truth embodied. And Jesus is truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so thank God if we use the word of God right and not misuse the word of God, the potential for eternity to be changed, the potential for souls to get help, the potential for people to get help. It's amazing what the word of God can do. It's 2023. What does this world need? I'll tell you what it needs. It needs more Bible. It's 2023. What does our government need? It needs more Bible. It's 2023. What do our homes need? It, they need more Bible. What do our marriages need? The marriages need more Bible. The Word of God is dynamic and powerful. It's even called a weapon. It's called a sword. It's even called a two-edged sword. And why is it called that? Because the presence of it brings peace. Number one, you have the use versus the misuse. Number two, you have the direction of the benefit. The direction of the benefit. If you look at verse one, the Bible says in Luke chapter four, Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan, was led by the spirit in the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he didn't eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. Jesus Christ had not eaten any physical food for 40 days. Verse three, and the devil said to him, if thou be the son of God, challenging his deity, challenging him as God, Command this stone that it be made bread. Could Jesus have commanded the stone and had changed it to bread? Could he have? Help me, church. Could he have? Yes, he could have. But he knew one thing. He knew that that would not benefit anybody but himself. And Jesus was the most selfless person that ever lived on this planet. Jesus was so unselfish. Unselfish to the extreme. He knew that if he would have partaken of this deal, if he would have changed that stone into bread, if he would have satisfied his fleshly hunger, we would all suffer the price of that. But the Bible rather than says, Jesus says, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone. Not by bread alone. You can have bread. Thank God we can have bread. Thank God we can eat. Maybe many of us eat too much, right? But it says by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus says here, I'm giving this as the benefit. And you know who just benefited from that statement? We did. On this September Sunday of 2023, we benefited because Jesus had the direction of the benefit for you and me. My goal as a pastor, when I teach and preach the word of God, whether it's here at the church or in pulpits across America, different teen camps and conferences, and I have failed at this, and please forgive me that, my goal is to preach the word of God in such a way that it benefits our lives, that it helps us, that it helps us live a little bit better, that it helps us forgive when we don't feel like forgiving, that it helps us love the unlovable, that it helps us, helps us make a difference in somebody else's life. Yesterday before sowing a visitation, Nicole Carlisle came into my office and said, God commands you to love dogs. My family lost our dog this summer, and there's a lot of pressure on my wife and I to have to get a new dog for our family. We're definitely not getting a cat. But a dog. And my wife and I have been kicking around. I said, Nicole, that is not true. That is not, see, that was a misconstruction of God's word there. She was, the Bible does not command me to love animals. It commands me to love people. She goes, yes, but you love sharks and dolphins. I said, that is true. I do love sharks and dolphins. I choose to love sharks and dolphins because God did not command me to. I choose to love sharks and dolphins. I do not choose to love dogs. She was belligerent about that. She said, preacher, God wants you to love his creation. 
And so we had a theological debate 24 hours before I'm to preach this message, which means I am a hypocrite preaching this right now because I was debating over Nicole Carlisle whether or not you should love a dog. Is it wrong to love a dog? Absolutely not. How many of you love your dog? Many of you love your dog. That's wonderful. I'm, I'm for you. More power to you. Please don't be one of those people that kisses your dogs on the lips, but God bless you if you do, right? <laughs> but we had a fun debate about that. I love dolphins and sharks. I love the ocean. I love salt water. I don't necessarily love dogs, but, you know, I mean, hey, we had a dog for 14 years, and, and he's gone now. He went to doggy heaven, Right? You say, preacher, you're being a little silly right now. I am being silly, but isn't it amazing how so many times, Nicole and I were having a lot of fun with that, how many times people will take a verse out of context and build a whole philosophy and a whole religion on it and confuse people. Cults. You know how a cult starts? The weaponization of scriptures. You know how false doctrines start? The weaponizing of scriptures. Almost every religion on this planet traces back to the Bible. They found some verse that convinced them to do it. But they forget about the context of it, which is what I love about Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. Because when Jesus quotes and says, it is written, he quotes from three different contexts. Why? Because Jesus is showing you, you've got to look at the whole picture here. And when you study the whole picture and you declare the whole picture and you preach the word of God consistently, it is for the sole benefit of helping somebody else. When I read my Bible this morning, it helped me. It helped me. And now I have the goal of trying to help somebody else with the word of God. So number one, you have the use versus the misuse. I'm almost sure you're doing great today. Number two, you have the direction of the benefit. We Americans sleep peacefully every night because our country has very many powerful weapons. Thank God for that, right? Number three, finally it leads to this, the possession of scriptures. The possession of scriptures. In this context here, the most important teaching that Jesus gives us is this. The reason he was ready for that, even the weaponizing of God's word and principles, was because Jesus was in possession of his scriptures. Now, when I say possession of his scriptures, I want you to look at Luke 4, verse 4 again with me, and I'm just about through. The Bible says, and Jesus answered him, saying, it is written, it is written, this is an Old Testament verse, now it's become a New Testament verse, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone. Stop. That's an important concept. We understand that. All of us know the need for physical food. We must, we must nourish ourselves physically. We will eat today. Most of us, I'm sure, will eat today. We will eat some kind of a food to nourish us physically. And Jesus acknowledges that. And this is a significant verse for such a time as this because he has not eaten for 40 days. He is hungry, the Bible says. He was afterward and hungered. I have not ever fasted that long, but I've had some friends that fasted that long. And they've said that you sometimes get delirious and See strange things after 40 days of not eating, you know, and, 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 and yet Jesus is still in a strong mind. But watch this. It's not necessarily because he possessed the word of God. It's because he possessed the word of God. The greatest Christians are those that have the word of God right here. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. There's something about possessing the word of God. When our soldiers go overseas and have to take bad weapons out of bad guys' hands, they possess weapons to make that an accomplishment for the benefit of others. And Christian friend today, when we possess the word of God in here, it's amazing how it affects us up here and how it affects us here and it affects us even at our feet. Our hands, our feet, and our head are directed by what's going on in our heart. 
And when we have the possession of the word of God, when the word of God is present with me, when I am familiar with the word of God and I know its principles and I understand what God is teaching us on a regular basis and how he wants us to live. And I just can't help but going back to the concept of forgiveness because the world today has such a warped view on forgiveness. But the Bible teaches a beautiful view of forgiveness. Forgiveness can transform and save relationships. Forgiveness can save people's lives many times. And when we understand the power of God's forgiveness and his command to us to forgive and most of all his example to us in forgiveness it can have really changed our lives and those around us the possession of the scripture you see today my friend don't be guilty christian friend in 2023 in this strange world we live in don't be guilty of ever and i'm i'm asking the lord to help me with this too as your pastor i don't want to ever be guilty of weaponizing the scriptures trying to take the word of god so that i can one up somebody so that i can win some debate so that i can look good on social media so i can and if you follow me on social media all i want to do is just proclaim the word of god this is what the bible says this is what god says god loves you god cares about you it's easy sometimes to try to get back in the corner and want to fight with people about the word of god don't do that just possess the word of god and let it live out in your feet and your hands and your lips and your eyes and your mind and your daily actions with people at work in your neighborhood and everywhere you go why because when we don't weaponize the scripture we possess the scripture and the possession of scripture helps so many people who are lost and confused it's not an accident, I close with this thought, it's not an accident that the Bible says in the last days in the book of Revelation that there'll be Babylonian concept. Babylon has always been an, 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 an antagonizer to the truth all, ever since Genesis. I mean, the, the principle of Babylon was present in Genesis. And it was even an official country. And then even Revelation chapter 19 talks about Babylon and how powerful it is. Babel or Babylon is, simply means Confusion. Confusion. And the weaponizing of God's word leads to confusion. You say, preacher, how, 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 explain that to us. I take it personal. You see, I was told that I'd be okay and go to heaven because I was sprinkled. I was told I'd be okay and go to heaven because I got baptized. That didn't work. Another church said I got to get baptized this way, so I got baptized again. That didn't work, so I got baptized again. I got baptized a third time. Sprinkled, baptized three times. That's four times I've had an encounter with water because some religious man, some religious leader told me that was what I was supposed to do. And I was willing to do it. I was searching. Sure, sounds good. Let's go get wet again. The other ones didn't stick, I guess. But what happened to me, what liberated me from the confusion was the presence of somebody who possessed the word of God. And the possession of the word of God and the proclamation of the word of God got rid of Babylonian concept in my mind and my heart. And I understood for the first time, not just here, but right here, that Jesus Christ beyond the cross is a tomb that is empty. That Jesus Christ died on that cross. He shed his blood. He lived again three days later. Jesus Christ does not need anybody's help. He does not need any religion's help. And it's offensive to think that Jesus would need the help of somebody else. No feeble, no frail, no weak arm could help thy Savior. He did it all. He paid it all. He lived again. He rose again. There is life beyond the tomb. Hallelujah. Beyond the tomb, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a beyond the cross, there's a tomb that is empty. And we have that now. And the empty tomb now gives us the potential for a fulfilled life. Why? Because of the scriptures. The possession of scriptures. Can I tell you today, we live in an interesting day. 
They say that statistically speaking, in this society, especially in America, it's the most ignorant people have ever been of the Bible. Which is a blessing to us, which is why the timeliness of this message is important. Because if you know any of the Bible, you're going to come across as someone with a little bit of authority, and people are starting to listen. Because they're tired of being lied to. They're tired of being deceived. And they want somebody to look them in the eye and say, hey, I got the truth. And Jesus said, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That verse is significant because it does not say just the presence of the truth sets you free, but the knowledge of the truth sets you free. So today, church, I close with this thought, and this applies to everybody, whether you're saved or lost. What are you going to do with the scriptures? Let's not weaponize. Let's possess, let's proclaim, let's love, let's tell this world there's a God in heaven. He's coming soon, and he loves everybody. Praise the Lord for that. Thank God for the promises. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Thank you for listening so well today.
my journey. I knelt at the cross where Jesus once died for me. And I asked, is this the place where hope abides? And this he said to me. You won't find me there anymore. And beyond the tomb is life everlasting and hope forevermore. Then I sought reassurance. And I went to the tomb, to the place where his body once laid. And I cried, Lord, help me see, is there hope here for me? And this I heard him say. Oh. 